0: Have you ever had a moment where you started to realize that the focus was getting on the wrong thing? Uh, I, I remember um, this last year, my son, uh, in the fall, we signed him up to play uh, soccer for uh, the Elmwood Park Blue Rhinos. Just a uh, local team playing in a bunch of local neighborhoods. It wasn't a travel team or anything. It was essentially uh, you paid the fee And if you showed up on Saturday, you got to play, right? No tryouts, nothing like that. And so our Saturdays consisted of, in the fall, going and cheering on my son as he ran around and kicked the soccer ball and all kinds of things. And it was really interesting. I started to notice uh, that the coaches all wore these uh, similar shirts that had this statement on the back. This is literally what it was. It said this, uh, they play, I coach, You cheer. (laughs) Being very clear for us to understand what your role is when you're here, where your focus needs to be, because it would be really weird if I ran out and started playing with the kids during the game, right? So they play, uh, the person wearing the shirt, they're the coach, and my responsibility is to cheer. And I think I did a pretty good job at that as a parent, cheering on my son and the Blue Rhinos as we went on our way and in our many games. And uh, it was interesting, though, because one of the fellow Blue Rhino parents took their cheering to a whole nother level because they showed up game two with one of these things right here. (laughs) I'm not making this up. This is a true story. They brought a megaphone. And cheered on the Blue Rhinos as loud as they possibly could. As soon as the Blue Rhinos scored, the siren would be going off on the megaphone. And as you could imagine, some of the other parents that weren't on the Blue Rhinos kind of took offense to this. They were like, this person shouldn't be allowed to bring one of these things word got to that guy, and they told him that, listen, sir, you're not going to be able to bring your megaphone to any more of these soccer games. And, and frankly, he stopped doing it, but he was kind of upset. In fact, it got to a level of where these parents, like he felt, were attacking him. And so about game six The people who initially started to complain came with this huge argument, and as the game was going on, there was yelling happening on the sidelines. And I kid you not, at my eight year old son's soccer game, the police were called, (laughs) and a policeman had to literally stand in between two parents as they just were yelling at each other, but really cheering for their kid. It was crazy the focus had all of a sudden gotten on the wrong thing. And I know that because my cheering stopped focusing on what was going on in the game and I started to scoot a little bit closer to the argument that was going on between the parents. It's like, this is gonna be great sermon material someday. I can't wait. And I bet you probably would have done the same exact thing, right? Like, holy smokes, what is happening and going on? Now, here's the thing. I'm not, like, against youth sports or anything like that. I think it's really beautiful. But I think our focus can get caught up on the wrong thing. And, in fact, I'd be willing to even argue that the story that you've probably heard before that we're going to learn from today has led you into focusing on wrong things that you've maybe heard this story before and you've focused on a part of this story and I'm here to tell you your focus is on the wrong thing. Because the story goes like this. There was this guy, his name was uh, Jonah. And, And God showed up to Jonah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, one who was called to go speak on God's behalf. And he said, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. Jonah is like, I'm not going to Nineveh. So he decides to flee and run to Tarshish. And the way to get there is he has to get on a boat, a ship. And as he gets on the ship, all of a sudden the winds and the waves start coming onto the boat and ship. And the, the people, the sailors on the ship are like, Jonah, is there something going on in your life? And Jonah's like, yeah, actually, I'm running away from God. Why don't you throw me overboard? So they do that. And the winds die down, and Jonah begins to sink deep into the sea. Now, who's heard this story before? Anybody heard this story before? All right, yeah, we've heard this story, right? we're like, yeah, Jonah, the guy who gets eaten by a fish. Yeah, as he sinks deep into the sea. He's swallowed by a fish. And for three days, he's in the belly of this fish, crying out to God. And oftentimes we think, well, this is what this story really is about, this miraculous move of God coming after this guy. But really, the focus is somewhere else. Because what happens is then, uh, after three days, Jonah gets spit up on the shore by that fish He's told to go back to Nineveh, to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And the classic pastor joke here is that his sermon was only eight words long, and it was so beautiful. And pastor, you've already said more than eight. (laughs) Because what he says to the people of Nineveh is simply, yet in 40 days, Nineveh should be overturned. The people believe. They repent. But what's interesting then is that Jonah is angry with God. That he would even show compassion to these people. During the season of Lent, in the month of March, we're going to be looking at this story of Jonah And the baseline question that you and I need to really wrestle with, the question that we ultimately have to deal with, is not that this story is about some guy who got swallowed by a fish. If that's your focus for this story, you're just like the parents arguing on the sideline. You're focusing on the wrong thing. The point of this story is so much more beautiful and so much more challenging than some fish story. It's this big question that we have to ask. It's this, are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemy? Are you truly okay with God showing compassion to even your enemy? For this month of March, we're going to look at the story of Jonah, and, uh, and I really do think that this is very fitting for our time of Lent because this is a time that we take on challenges, right? We abstain from certain things. We use this as a time that I'm really going to focus and zero in, and, and as a church, we really want to help you in that journey here. And as we look at the story of Jonah, we're going to see that God is a God who shows compassion to Jonah, but he's also a God who shows compassion to all. And that's incredibly challenging for us to come to grips with. And so to set up this series, I just want to answer three questions. This is all we're going to do today and you can actually read the story of Jonah. It's only four chapters, not long at all. We're going to be going through it every single week. But these are the three questions that I want us to address today to set us up for this challenge of Jonah. There are these. Number one, who is Jonah? Secondly, why did he flee and get on a boat to Tarshish? And third, why is his story in the Bible? So first off, who is this guy, Jonah? Well, Jonah is a prophet, which means that he's one who speaks on behalf of God. And especially during the time of Jesus, before, or rather before Jesus came into this world, God had appointed prophets who would go and speak and share uh, the news of what God is going to do. Uh, typically speaking, prophets during this time were given words about God and were uh, called to speak those words to God or speak those words to other people. So when we, read, um, when we read of the prophets, we're reading the words that they spoke to a group of people. But Jonah's prophecy is different. Like I said, we only have eight words that he actually spoke to the people of Nineveh. Jonah's story is more about his life. And the journey, the chiseling that God is going to do in his life. If I could like, kind of use a metaphor, like this is more like a 30 for 30, like a documentary film. The athletes are with me on this, right? Uh, this is more of a, of a documentary as opposed to a dissertation. This is more about looking at his life story and what God is going to be working in him what's interesting is that we know some of the context of when Jonah lived. Jonah was a prophet during the reign of this guy, Jeroboam II. He was the king of the northern kingdom in Israel. And we read that uh, that Jeroboam is described as a bad king. In the book, 2 Kings, chapter 14, in particular, verse 25, we read that Jeroboam II was evil, that he acted in unjust ways, and he was not faithful to God. What's kind of interesting, too, is that Jonah wasn't the only prophet during this time. There was also two other contemporaries or prophets during that time, Amos and Hosea, and they both said that Jeroboam II is not a good king whereas Jonah was one who championed Jeroboam. You think political drama is only an American issue. It's existed during the time of God's people as well. But anybody who understood the context during this time wouldn't have gotten just lost in that fine detail. There was something deeper happening and going on here that would have been more shocking to the original listener of what God was calling Jonah to do. Which kind of leads to the second question here. Why in the world did Jonah flee and get on a boat to Tarshish? What was his problem and issue with the people of Nineveh? Well, Nineveh during that time was the capital of this empire known as Assyria. It's the heart of the empire, the major metropolitan city. And the Assyrians are known in history as being some of the most cruel people that had ever lived. In fact, uh, the king of the Assyrians was this guy, Shalom the III, we believe. And he was known during his time as being one who would torture prisoners, he would dismember them, and he would dis decapitate his enemies. I read one story about this man that there was this common uh, way that the Assyrians uh, interacted with their enemy, that if they were imprisoned, they would come up and torture them. And the way that they would torture them is they would cut off their legs and then take off their arm, and they would hold the hand that remained, and they would mock them as they would shake their hand as they would die. In fact, I got a picture of it right here for you to check out. No, I'm not going to have a picture of this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, like, Pastor Dave is a sick man. No. I don't want to show you that. Are you kidding me? All right. These, these people during this time, the Assyrians, were brutal were vicious. So why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because he heard the story of what they did to the captured. But also, it was something deeper. It, Nineveh, the people of Assyria, were, were enemies of God's people. They weren't on the same team. And, and what's interesting to note about this point here is how God calls Jonah to go. He doesn't call Jonah to write up some really mean, offensive letter saying that the God of Israel is really upset with you guys, and I'm just going to mail it over to you. He doesn't call Jonah to like have a bunch of like the elite warriors an army behind him and say, you're going to go, but you got some heat behind you. You got some people with you. You got backing. No, God calls Jonah to go himself to his enemy. What's crazy here is that this is really one of the first times that we see that God is calling his prophets, to go to a foreign land. Yes, before God had had used his prophets to speak against the enemies, but now he is calling Jonah to a different task, to actually go to Nineveh, to be present in this place. Jonah's mission was unique, and it required him to go. But we read that Jonah goes the other way. He flees. He runs away from the direction that God has called him, which leads to the third question for us today. Why is this story in the Bible? I really believe that this story of Jonah is in the Bible for us because we've all Been there before. Like, wait a second, Pastor Dave. Never experienced somebody cutting off somebody's legs and arms, all right? This seems a little bit more cruel and brutal. All right, yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying here. We've all been there before because we've all had to wrestle with this question. Are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemy? Are you truly okay that God would have compassion for somebody that you couldn't even imagine, deserves it. See, there's no doubt that we live in our culture and world in a place that's filled with all kinds of division. Small and big, (laughs) trivial and very serious. I mean, we have these silly debates in like Chicago of like, should you put ketchup on a hot dog or not? Stupid, but it causes some kind of division, right? We have allegiances to the Cubs or the White Sox or, heaven forbid, like my in-laws, the St. Louis Cardinals. There just seems to be kinds of division. We have divisions amongst people of, are you... Born and raised in a neighborhood, or are you a transplant into a neighborhood? And, and, and while those can seem maybe a little bit small and not that big, we can also point to other things that are big that cause all kinds of division in our culture. Who are you voting for in 2020? Let alone the division that exists inside of political parties over issues and things, But it gets even deeper than that. Do you believe that racism is real and systemic? Or do you believe that it's a thing of the past? Or or what's your stance on marriage? And who has the right to be married? Today, I need you to see that Jonah was dealing with this real question that you and I have to deal with as well. Are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemy? To the one who views something different than you? To the one, the crazy ones who put ketchup on their hot dog or root for a team down south? Or even deeper, to somebody who disagrees with you? on something that's so core to who you are? Are you okay with God showing compassion to them? The story of Jonah, one scholar once wrote, he said that it's as if God is holding a mirror to you, and he's saying this question. Are you okay with God showing compassion to your enemy? What's interesting to me when I look at the life of Jonah is that um, Jonah certainly was addressing this question and we read in this story that he really is wrestling with this question. And I believe that if you go on this journey with us that this is going to be a wrestling point for you too. I know that because it is for me. But what's interesting to me is that in this moment, uh, Jonah doesn't really have like a personal experience with the people of Nineveh. He's heard all the stories and all the things that they have done. And I think that that's so true for us as well in our society, right? That we allow our comfort to keep us away from people that are different than us that you don't even know somebody that is going through that very thing and therefore you see them as less than human, not even worth any value. And it's in that exact scenario that Jonah is dealing with the mirror that is being held up to him that we have to deal with as well. Now please hear me on this, certainly. I think we have to go with caution and care. And I go back to our series on reconciliation. We just did a couple series ago that as we go, we go with a tender heart and a strong mind. Don't be a moron. Quote. (laughs) Don't be dumb as you go. But understand that God is going to call us into some challenging questions as we do go. You know, what's interesting is that thousands of years later, this guy, Jesus, would appear. He would come into the world. And, uh, and the people that gave him a lot of grief uh, were the religious ones, the ones who had followed all of the rules and things. And one of the things that they were upset about was they looked at the people who were starting to follow him and those that he spent time with. In fact, we read, we read these words in Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. It says this. It says that when the Pharisees, this is the religious ones, the ones who had followed all the rules, when they saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher, Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? If I were to translate that today to understand what the point is here, he's saying, why does your teacher eat with the enemy? And when he, Jesus, heard it, he said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I came into this world, Jesus says, not to just call the righteous ones, the, things, the people that have it all together or appear to have it all together. He says, I came to call the enemy.'" the broken those don't even know yet in fact uh, one author in the bible moving forward a guy named paul would say it this way in romans chapter 5:10 i love this he says this for while we were enemies with god we were reconciled that means to be made right to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The story of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that God has come into this world for his enemies. And when we sin, when we do wrong, when we go against and we flee what God calls us to do, we essentially become an enemy of God. But the good news is that God says, I've came into this world for you, It wasn't like he just came and proclaimed that. He put that into action. He did something about it, which meant that he ultimately would have to go to a cross, that his life would be a ransom for you and me, that his death and his resurrection would restore all things and make it right. You know, I was thinking this week, uh, about this idea. I'll run it by you here. I was thinking about this thought of how God doesn't think in distinctions of nations, we do that. What I mean by that is that if you believe the God of the Bible, what that means is that He's bigger than a nation, a race, a denomination. What I mean by that is that he goes beyond those barriers that we have created. Now, here's the thing. I'm fully aware that there are distinctions and divisions. I'm aware that I have a culture and that this world is going to put us at opposition with other people. I'm not saying that these things don't exist. What I'm saying is that the God that we're singing songs to, the God that we are worshiping, the God that brought you here today says that I see you differently than how the world sees you. And what that means is that that will call us as well to go to greater lengths, to go to greater places, to go to things that are beyond The divisions that we typically create in this world. So, are you ready for the challenge? You may have noticed uh, when you came in, you saw like all of these sheets of paper in the back and these big boxes that are stacked up there. Uh, We are affectionately calling that our compassion wall. And and what this is, is we want to challenge you during this 40-day season that as we get ready for Easter, that you have an opportunity to really reflect, especially this week, on who are the people that you have run away from. Maybe it's somebody that votes differently than you. Maybe it's someone that is a fan of something else that you're not a fan of? Who's the person that if God told you that they deserve the compassion that I have given you, they deserve that as well, that it makes you kind of cringe a little bit? Because this week, the challenge is this. There are these cards in the back there, and I hope that we don't have any of them left. You can take one per person here, and there are three questions on there. And the three questions for this week lead you into a place of, number one, identifying who that person is, who that people group is. Maybe you don't know anybody who has that name, or maybe that people group has a name that you know of and you have just avoided. Either way, to take some time to reflect on that. The second challenge is this, is that you would be willing to tell somebody that. That to let somebody in, to hold you accountable to the fact of, you know what, this has been a problem for me. And I hope you would tell somebody that they would be so bold to say, you know what, you're not the worst person in the world, but they too would admit that we do this as people. And then lastly, just to pray for that person, that people group. This is the challenge that we see that God is doing through Jonah, the compassion that he is showing, the compassion that ultimately we receive from God himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are one who challenges us in in beautiful ways. God, I pray um, for those times that we seem to run, to go the opposite direction, the callings that you have given us, God, I'm so grateful that you're one who continues to call us to, that you keep working in in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would see through the lens of how you view us, that we would be challenged by that question, that, that we're okay with you, God, showing compassion to our enemy. God, we need help in that. We can't do it on our own. that we need your spirit to guide and lead. So please lead us, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.